Hello and welcome into episode number four of the Drink at the Rink podcast. Appreciate everyone plowing their way through the first three episodes. We're here in the middle of July. A return from the NHL looks possible and promising, but we're not going to 100% jump on anything just yet until that puck drops, of course, with everything going on in the world today. So we look for some distractions, and here's one of those. It's, as I said, the Drink at the Rink podcast. So today our our episode is going to feature a very special guest, a guy I've gotten to know very well over the last couple of years, become a friend of mine, which is surreal to even say out loud. He is Brian Trottier, a seven-time Stanley Cup champion, a uh, couple with the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, once as an assistant coach with that incredible Colorado Avalanche team in 2001. And then, of course, he was a member of the NHL's, in my opinion, most dominant dynasty, the New York Islanders of the 1980s. Trottier, Clark Gillies, Billy Smith, Denny Potvin, Kenny Morrow, that team, Mike Bossy, that team was unbelievable, of course, coached by Al Arbor, and uh, Trottier shared his thoughts on that team and uh, many more moments throughout his very prolific and Hall of Fame NHL career in this chat. So hope you enjoy the conversation, and without further ado, here it is, episode four, Brian Trottier has a drink at the rink. A Hockey Hall of Famer, seven-time cup winner, four-time All-Star, a Calder Trophy, a Hart Trophy, an Art Ross Trophy, a Conn Smythe, the King Clancy, all to his name, but most of all, as he knows, a great guy. It's Brian Trottier. Great to have a drink at the rink with him here at Episode 4. Trots, thanks for doing this. Hey, great intro. One of my new favorite intros ever. Thanks, Josh. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. Yeah, that's that's my that's my goal, Trots. I try to make people feel really good about themselves before we get things going. <laughs> so I drink at the rink. I love it. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's all about. And uh, trying to keep busy in these weird times, so we appreciate you jumping on. But I, I have to uh, kind of start off with, you know, the obvious question: We're a quarter of a year here, pretty much now, into this pandemic since it really started to, I guess, spread in North America in, in early March. Uh, how have you been keeping busy? What's What have been some of the, the go-to tasks for you? Well, thank God uh, my son is just finishing high school and uh, going into university. So that's that's been a lot of focus for him and I. He's got a little part-time job, and he was finishing up school online, and they graduated virtually. And I mean, it was just kind of a moving target here. So like, uh, just kind of like uh, concentrating on him and making sure that, uh, you know, I would say the world doesn't revolve around him, but for these last three or four months, it sure has been. Uh, just trying to get uh, high school finished and then off to college and that transition. And, um, you know, just uh, probably looking at myself and saying, I got to downsize here. I got to make, uh, I, got to, I got this huge house and a dog. So I got, I got to downsize a little bit and uh, get my life uh, simpler, you know, now that I'm an empty nester. But it'll be, uh, it'll be weird, but good because I got the grandkids in Minnesota. We're doing some stuff with Zoom with them. Uh, I got the guitar strumming. They're singing along songs with me. So we're, ha- we're having, we're, we're kind of making the best of it, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of maintenance this, maintenance that. Uh, that's kind of my life. But uh, more than anything else, it's uh, trying to stay sane. Like that's kind of like you, you get Groundhog Day. It's the same old thing. I got to remind myself what day of the week it is. Um, but you know, you kind of got to laugh through this and 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 you know, dig in and say to yourself, you know, it's uh, it's unique. It's uh, not something anybody knows how to handle. But uh, I think we all kind of like 
support each other through this crazy time. So yeah, no, this is this is a fun distraction. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, I'm happy to distract you a little bit. So I, I know I know, you, I know you have your your son going off into university, as you mentioned. You also mentioned the dog. What kind of dog do you have hanging out with you under the roof there? He's a um, border collie Australian Shepherd mix, and he's, nice. uh, he's kind of a dark chocolate, beautiful white mane. He's got little little dots, eyebrows above his eyes. He's he always looks like he's a little inquisitive. He, he's a brilliant dog. He's just a little high strung, <laughs> a little skittish at times. But uh, you know, really pretty dog. He's, he lopes really well. He's he's good high energy. Uh, he's probably about eight nine years old. He's starting to slow down like me. Yeah, uh, sore hip every once in a while. I'm like, oh, I feel your pain there, kiddo. Um, but it's uh, you know, <laughs> just comes with a little bit of age and a little wear and tear. But he's uh, you know, he's he's a fun a, another fun distraction. Yeah, they make it a little bit easier. I have one here to a golden doodle, so it's uh, oh, gotcha. another high energy one. But they they make you they make you go through the day a little bit quicker, I guess you could say. So well, it's, it's you know what's you know what's really fun is loyalty. Like they yeah. just they just look at you like, man, I'm in love with you. I just think that's <laughs> that's. That loyalty, you say, darn it, you just weaseled your way deeper into my heart, you stinker. It's so true. It's so special with that relationship. So it, it does sound like, to your credit, Trotz, you, you guys have been fairly busy there. You've, you've kept yourselves occupied. I give you credit, as I mentioned, for that. But as you said off the top, Drink at the Rink is the name of the podcast. So I have to know, is there anything you guys are mixing up under the Trottier roof drink-wise here during the, uh, the pandemic? Anything that's uh, started to take hold as a uh, popular beverage? The go-to is, is, is a little vodka talk, toddy, I call it, and it's just uh, uh, kind of a relaxer. It's probably mixed uh, pretty pretty mild, maybe 1 to 10 as far as that, but a little vodka soda just to kind of top off the day and uh, R&R, relaxation, uh, good for, the, <laughs> good for the, the physical nerves, all that fun stuff. But uh, I think it's it, it's not even an opportunity to socialize much. We, we had a little bit of socializing here and there, but that's kind of been uh, hither and thither, not uh, not all that. But, yeah, that's my little go-to, little vodka, soda, nothing nothing huge. That's a good summer drink. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Uh, always good. Always goes down easily. But I, I have to ask, you know, when, when you look at your career trots, 15 of the 18 years you spent in the NHL on Long Island, and I say that right, on Long Island, not in Long Island, as some people say, uh, with the Islanders. Have you ever had a Long Island iced tea? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like when I played, I wasn't much of a drinker. Um, you know, I'm, it wasn't it – was, Beer kind of made me bloat, and you know, alcohol just—I didn't like the—I uh, didn't like the effect. I didn't like the taste. Uh, but oh yeah, we tasted. We had we had we had a few parties, and of course, you know, I, I jumped into the, had fun with the guys. But I never got—I was kind of a designated driver, made sure everybody made it home. <laughs> um, so it was, uh, it, was a, it was a good role for me because I wasn't a big big drinker, still not. Yeah. Um, I enjoy I enjoyed the social aspect of it, a little little cool toddy at the end of the day, end of a hot day, those kinds of things and it just uh you know that that's just that's just the, the wilds of but wherever you go there's a, like the like the drink of the day we would we hit the west coast and we'd hit tequila willies and it was just so hilarious to see some of these guys don't drink tequila all of a sudden they just stiffen right up <laughs> i'm going home i'm like okay let's get you in a cab and we'll pour you back at the hotel but um no it's uh every every little city has had a rush rush street in chicago had the we had, we had a fun time there when one year 
you know, every city has like their their street where you can kind of like tilt your hair down and uh, have great fun, just like just like we do here on Carson Street. Yeah, no, it's so true. There's there's a little personality uh, on that front in every single city in the NHL, and I know you've experienced it. I've gotten a, a chance to a little bit in a different perspective here the last handful of years. So uh, that is a cool aspect to the game. And uh, we have our drinks, so we can get to the rink. And Trotz, I mentioned off the top, you know what what a <laughs> what a career that you had. Uh, you know, running running down all the accomplishments, as I said off the beginning, it's so surreal when I read them off. For you, it must be a little surreal to hear them and relive them in your head as you're hearing them. So I, I think when I tried to get things together for this interview and this conversation today, it was kind of interesting because I didn't really even know where to start with everything that's happened uh, in your career, but. I figured the easiest place was at the beginning of your NHL career when you got drafted. And the Islanders, looking back, you know, you talk about teams that have stockpiled through the draft in the current day. And it's, you know, it's starting to go more in that direction with the salary cap that you really have to draft well. You can't buy your way to a championship as, you know, was the case in the 90s at times and in the 2000s at times. But uh, in your world, coming into the NHL in the mid-70s, you really had to draft well, and you really had to be successful with the players that you brought in your organization. And just looking at the guys surrounding you, I mean, in, in 1973, Denny Potvin goes to the Islanders. You and Clark Gillies go in 74. Ken Morrow in 76. Mike Bossy in 77. When I say that here on paper, that looks like obviously there are some serious pieces being put together in the way of making a Stanley Cup champion. But with you guys like kind of growing together in that moment, did you feel like that there was something special starting to brew there? Well, first off, thank you, Josh. It's been, it, I've had good fortune. I think, uh, you know, played with good players, played in good organizations, and, um, you know, teams that want to win, you know, good skill players, all those things help. Uh, the success that comes along with that, and, uh, you know, the appreciation factor, and and then coming to Pittsburgh and feeling appreciated all over again. There's just a whole bunch of fun things that happen in your life, mm-hmm. and uh, unique opportunities. Uh, yes, uh, early '70s was uh, it was it was drafting time. Like you look at Pierre Larouche and I were drafted the same year. He came. And I was so jealous when he jumped right into the NHL, and he was just a youngster. And I, I went back to junior hockey for a year. I was, I was small. I was five foot six, hundred sixty pounds that last year. I put on 15, 20 pounds and uh, came to the NHL the next year. Um, didn't score a goal in training camp, but I kind of bumped everything that I could that moved on the ice. My teammates <laughs> or the other teammates, but uh, you kind of you kind of get noticed. And uh, next thing you know, you're playing with, uh, with, with with on the power play and being a couple things good things happen, and um, you're on a roll. The confidence level grows. Um, and uh, the team is, is is kind of building. They, they, Bill Torrey and Al Arbor in New York, they went from uh, goaltending defense and they worked their way out. They went down the middle. And um, I felt really good about the, the, the way the team was growing. Um, absolutely. All of a sudden, I get a young Mike Bossy on my right side. And we all know his scoring skills. And, you know, he's uh, in that Mario Lemieux kind of upper echelon of scoring. And, uh, you know, you you kind of get a little chemistry going there and obviously Dennis Potvin being the leader he is and the captain he is and just this solid you know uh defenseman you know you have that kind of skill back there quarterback and power play and he's just a pillar of confidence and Billy Smith and that those things all kind of like start to grow and Kenny Morrow comes you know uh Butch Goring trades I mean there's just some really interesting things that happen um 
much like Pittsburgh. You look at Pittsburgh in the early 90s, you know, there was a, we call ourselves a bunch of misfits, you know, like Joey Mullen, myself, Gordy Roberts, uh, you know, we all we all come here, next thing you know, they're, they're, they're planting, you know, Larry Murphy, and later on, uh, Ronnie Francis, and old Samuelson, and you know, the following year, we lose Recky, we get Talkit, right. and uh, we lose Coffee. You know, we get Samuelson. It's a, there's just unique things that happen through the course of the season, and there's chemistry. The guys gel right at the right time. The momentum grows, um, and you ride that way if you push as far as you possibly can. And there's a, there's a wonderful thing called composure and poise, and with the obviously the Lemuse factor and the Yager factor. And, Ronnie Francis, you know, that, that kind of puck poise, Murphy, it just really adds to the dynamic of a team, never in a panic, you know, solid goaltending. We have Billy Smith in New York, Tommy Brasso here. They, they will always be my two all-time favorite goalies. Like, the, you can't win championships without them. And, you know, I went and coached in Colorado, obviously, had Patrick Waugh, you know, the winningest goalie ever right. in Brodeur. And you say, you have that backstop back there who's just so confident whether a goal goes in he goes okay guys just give me one more and they, they won't score anymore and that's kind of the the uh demeanor they have the face they put on and it's a confidence thing and i sat next to tommy in the locker room and tommy tommy can rub a guy wrong way but i love the guy i just love the way he prepared how he just pushed himself to another level come playoff time and I called him a sheet of plywood in the net when when playoffs came on because they couldn't put anything by him. But um, it's just a, a team confidence that grows, and obviously you need that management, the coaching aspect of it, the, the commander behind the bench, the, the you know the head coach that just you know gives you that sense of uh, confidence, puts the lines together, the the groupings, the uh, the systems, uh, you know, just the, the strategies, and you know everybody grabs a hold of the rope and away we go. So. Um, I, I look back and say, yeah, you know what? The uh, the early years with the Islanders were fantastic, great experience. You know, just you take that experience to Pittsburgh, and then you take the Islander Pittsburgh experience into coaching, and right. you know, all that experience is just kind of molds you and makes you kind of who you are at in in business or in life in your career. But um, you know, me, the kids look at me; they just I'm I'm just dad, and the grandkids look at me like he's just grandpa. He's just a lot of fun. And uh, that's really kind of, you just want good quality of life for your family. And um, my son's an oncologist out in Minnesota. My daughter married a Navy SEAL. My younger daughter just got married in September to a great kid from Wisconsin. And Christian's graduated. We got eight grandkids, five granddaughters, you know, four, four, four grandsons. And two of them are coming here next week just to kind of hang out with the pool, do a little boating. And so that's kind of the fun of life is, is uh, getting through that career, you know. <laughs> kind of unscathed you know a little cranky little arthritis here and there but all in all it's just been kind of a fun ride yeah seriously i mean that's an unbelievable story and all the players that you've been able to you know play with as you mentioned the the coaches that you played for and you talked a little bit about the islanders stuff there in the beginning obviously the the run you guys went on uh winning four straight stanley cups um, is something that I feel pretty confident in saying I don't think is ever going to happen with how the NHL is constructed now again. I mean, it's just so hard to um, 
keep a championship team together. And obviously you guys were an incredibly special group there for those four seasons to win those cups. But I have to ask you, you know, when you're going through that and, you know, kind of working on the, the periphery, I guess you could say, with the Penguins in, in 2016 and 2017 when they won the Stanley Cups, it was interesting to see how focused they continued to be on getting back to the top after winning it in 16 and doing it again there in 17. Now, for you guys, that had to happen three more times after winning it the first time. How were how you able to, I guess, stay so motivated and not be satisfied when a lot of people would have said after two cups, that was a heck of a team. After three cups, that was a great team. But you guys kept finding a way to get back to the top. Um, you know, I think, Josh, when I look back and um, I think of the wilds of that growing team and um, the feeling of being a champion for the first time, you didn't want to lose that feeling. And uh, I think that's what makes that's what keeps you hungry. Then you have a, a coach like Al Arbor who's continually motivating you and challenging us as a group and you know you got the uh, the sensation of the whole league trying to knock you off the, the top of the hill um those things are wonderful challenges and wonderful uh and, and i think we're just young and dumb so i think you know you don't realize you know just <laughs> what you're going through at the time but it's just so much fun because we were young we were healthy much like that earlier team that came along and um you know won some cups with gretzky and that crew so like when you're young and you're healthy and you have a good core group of guys good things are going to happen and uh, a strong belief a great system god we loved our system uh, strong coaching um super leadership great uh great leadership in a locker room um just a great chemistry in the locker room great chemistry on the ice all those things happen and you know, it's, it is unique in the fact that 19 straight years is going to be tough. It's going to be tough to, you know, into, like you said, in today's world free agency and uh, salary cap and everything. It's just going to be tough to hold the team together. But that team achieved a tremendous amount. We had a lot of pride in that room. Um, everybody, you know, no big egos, but uh, all about the team. And, and that's very important as well because – you know, you got to like, uh, every, there's only so much ice time during a game, and uh, right. everybody has to have a, have a sense of worth and value. And you look at that team in the, in the 16 and 17 here with the, with, with the Penguins, young group of guys, and they got to refine that hunger, you know, from from the 09 team, all of a sudden they got maybe a new, few new faces, uh, you know, uh, a little a little different coach behind the bench. All those things, and you say, oh, yeah, different voice, uh, you know, and it, it inspires. There's ins- inspiration from, from certain plays that just kind of take, take hold and lift the team. And um, you got newer leaders, you got new young leaders, guys contributing, finding a way to contribute and, and making themselves feel like appreciated. And I, I remember walking in the locker room and um, Mario didn't say much, but what a tremendous effect it had when he tapped somebody in the shin pads and go, great play. That You just see that guy lift up. And, and, and those kinds of things from Crosby and Mario, and, you know, the great leaders and captains that you have on a team, those are moments you, 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 that really make a team and make an individual feel like a part of a team. You mentioned the coaching aspect to, to championships, and, and you talked a little bit earlier about Al Arbor. Um, I think that when you consider what you guys were able to accomplish on Long Island, it's it's impressive in and of itself to win four Stanley Cups, but 
with the talent that you had, and I just found it interesting that you just said right there that so many guys bought in and it wasn't a me-first type of team, and that's obviously so key to having success at the highest level and sustaining that success. But what was it about Arbor as the coach of those teams uh, that allowed him, I guess, to, to raise your guys' game beyond just your natural talents, to, to make you believe that you know you were capable of doing what you ended up doing? Well, I think Al caught us at the right time. Um, you know, all of us were like 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old growing up with that team. And uh, we had some veteran leaders, you know, Eddie Westfall, Jude Drew, and J.P. Parisi that were just really good veteran players that kind of really set the standard and responded to Al. And um, we as young kids kind of looked at those guys, how they responded to Al and how they monitored the locker room. And then you have Al, who's a little bit of a father figure for a lot of us. And for me personally, you know, he said two of the same things my dad would say to me, smarten up and bear down. And I used to say to myself, did my dad talk to him or something? Say, hey, just <laughs> tell him to smarten up and bear down. But those kinds of things resonate in the locker room. And the biggest, biggest players we had, like Clark Gillies and, you know, Dennis Potter, you know, um, big presence in a locker room, Bobby Nystrom, how they responded to Al was very important to us. And um, Al got a, he was just a terrific motivator. Like he knew what buttons to push as a group, what buttons to push push individually. Um, You know, he had no favorites. You know, I got yelled at as much as anybody. Um, (laughs) I used to chuckle. He he wanted me to bear down on face-offs. And I'm like, Al, what were my face-offs in my zone? What were the face-offs on power play? Some face-offs that I just didn't care about, neutral zone or whatever. Sometimes we get a clunky defenseman out there, and I'm, I'm losing this. We're going to pressure their, <laughs> their he's the defenseman. We're going to kind of get a turnover deep in the zone, and uh, you know that doesn't come on a, on a score sheet. But he wanted me to under, he wanted me to understand like he's holding me accountable, and those are great great lessons because coming here in Pittsburgh, you know, just being a, a veteran voice and a veteran presence, I think uh, the guys really responded fun. To, that was a fun role for me. Um, it was fun. Every little thing I did, like it, you, can, you contribute in a small way. Then, oh, and then that's a trotchy move. And I'm like, oh, relax, guys. I said, <laughs> as much luck as it was anything else. But that's the good fortune of, of, of coming to a group of guys, playing with a group of guys that appreciate you and, uh, you know, just building on it. So, yeah, it's, uh, it takes a lot of focus to find that hunger all over again and to repeat, you know, back-to-back like we did here in Pittsburgh, back-to-back like the Penguins did here in the late – 2000s and um, I think it's a tribute to leadership coaches and just finding ways to inspire and motivate and uh, believe and um, make guys feel valued they certainly did from all the you know the main coaches that you had throughout your playing career with the Al Arbors the Scotty Bowmans the Badger Bob Johnsons we'll get to the latter two uh, in just a second but you talk about some of the guys that you played with there on Long Island, uh, like the Mike Bossies, the Clark Gillies, Denny Potvin, and then you come to Pittsburgh and you join the likes of Mario Lemieux and Yarmir Yager and Paul Coffey. Um, I guess when you when you look back at that moment in your career, when you when you sign with the Penguins after coming over 15 years with the Islanders, what led you to Pittsburgh at that point? And, and then obviously the, the, the normal follow-up to that would be when you get to Pittsburgh and then you end up being a part of back-to-back cup championships, what was it like adding a couple more cups to your arsenal and seeing some guys experience it and being a part of that experience with them for the first time? Well, all those things are special. Like there's, there's no way to describe it outside of um, 
it's what you play for. It's that shared excitement, that shared sense of accomplishment, that that shared sense of celebration, that shared sense of sacrifice, dedicate all those wonderful things that people do as an individual. And then you get to share that with your teammates. And uh, we all see it. We don't have to say a word. Just look in each other's eyes and go, ah! you know, like we did it. And it's really kind of cool thing. And you got really wonderful, wonderful guys like Bob Erie and Phil Bork and Troy Loney. They don't get a lot of headlines, but they are cogs. They are just good energy and positive energy. And that's what you want. That's what you want on the team. Guys that, you know, um, bring that enthusiasm as much as the Mario's, as much as the Dennis Potvins and Mike Bossies. Um, they are um, special, special people. I look and I say to myself, there's there's no better feeling than to accomplish something as a group. And because you need everybody and you got to encourage everybody, you got to keep, um, if somebody's having a tough time, you got to like rally for that guy and, um, because he's important and uh, great teams do that. So coming to Pittsburgh was an easy decision. Like I looked around the league when you become a free agent, you look around the league and you say, where would I like to go? Well, I just thought Pittsburgh and Mario were just awesome. They had Paul Coffey here. They had Tommy Barrasso. They just looked like a little bit like on the cusp of doing something really wonderful. And talking to Craig was just uh, extremely positive. Um, so I called, I called LA. They had Gretzky out there. I thought maybe give him a hand. I called, um, uh, Jimmy Devolano in Detroit. He was a scout with the Islanders. He, you know, he, he they had young Steve Eiserman there. There was just some teams. I'm saying, you know, they're 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 knocking. And uh, Craig was the quickest to pull the trigger. Um, he goes, uh, "I'll have a contract to you in a half an hour." He did. We beat it up over, over the phone, and I faxed him my signature, and boom, we done it. And I called the L.A. and Detroit back, and I said, sorry, guys, too late. You know, like I said, first one to send the contract. <laughs> so for me, that was the excitement. You know, I was now a Penguin. I was now a Pittsburgh Penguin. Bob Johnson called me, like, as soon as I faxed that contract, but we chatted on the phone for about an hour. I had Bob for Team USA back in 84, so I had known him a little bit from that. And he's such a positive man, and he was – Oh, Brian, you're going to love it. I'm going to put you with Joey Mullen. He loves to score goals. Oh, I'm going to play you with Phil Mark. He loves to bar check like a mad dog. And he was just like <laughs> firing, firing me up. And I'm like, I got off the phone. And I'm like, holy cow, what a great phone call that was, you know. And it was just a reminder of how positive Bob is. And, um, those kind of things just, uh, just make it even extra special because I drove into Pittsburgh. I came through the school, Squirrel Hill Tunnel. I said, wow, this is my new identity in this little city. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then Mario goes down. So I run over to the hospital, visit with him a little bit. I said, you got to get healthy, big boy. I said, I came here because I got a one-year deal. we got to we got to win together. And I said, I'm on a mission. He looked at me like I was, I was a ding-dong. Of course I want to get better. But, uh, and he does. He comes back. He's kind of half the Mario, I guess. Like he wasn't super healthy. And he was MVP of the playoffs. So go figure. I said, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. But it was really uh, – a unique thing, you know, to be able to have win a championship with a young Yarmer Yager. He looked at me, he always called me Big Brian. He goes, Oh, Big Brian, this winning championship is so easy. First year, I'm like, Yarmer, this might never happen again. We got, first, you know, this is, this is, this is kind of fun. And then we do it back to back. He goes, See, Big Brian, I told you it was so easy. I'm like, We're playing on a pretty good team here, Yarmer. This is really kind of fun. And, uh, 
you know, the, the, the fact that there's so many things that can come along, like injuries, or, and that's what kind of dinged us there, you know, when I came back as assistant coach here. Um, it was really, it was just injury. Injuries bit us, and, you know, we, we do so well during the regular season and come playoffs, we just couldn't stay healthy. So those things, those little factors come along, you know, to disrupt a, a run. Or we might have had two or three more here in Pittsburgh, you know, during the Auger years, because it was really a fun, fun group to work with. As you mentioned, he started his career with two cups in a row, and obviously you came to Pittsburgh, I'm sure, uh, not totally aware of you know how good Yarmir Yager was. I don't think anyone did from what I've been told about how he kind of came out of training camp that year, and then you started to realize right away, oh my gosh, this guy is, is going to be a star in this league. But you mentioned your relationship with him. Uh, how did that kind of come about, and, and how did the two of you grow so close together so quickly? Uh, I guess how would you earn his trust for a guy that – you know, really didn't have any kind of connection to where he was coming to. Well, I was kind of the old guy, and Craig asked if it's okay if I roomed with them through training camp, and I said, absolutely, I'd love it. So I had my English to Czechoslovakian book, and he had his <laughs> Czechoslovakian English book, and we, we figured things out. He watched a lot of MTV, and he got a lot of phrases from MTV, you know, that he'd use... Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd order food for him, you know, so he, he started getting, he started realizing, you know, like, hey, this guy's uh, kind of a guy that I can, re- you know, lean on a little bit, um, and he called me Big Brian, I, I loved it, he was so much bigger than me. he called me Big Brian, I just, because I was so much older, I don't know, <laughs> this is always called, he still does, but uh, you build a bond, and then it just grows from next, you know, I was on the same line with him, and we're talking, and I'm trying to teach him, like, it's not just about uh, puck, you know, one-man puck possession. There's a little thing called give-and-go. There's a little thing called soft pick in the game. And he, when he started learning, he's a good student. He's just a terrific student and a great kid. When he started learning the North American game on smaller ice, mm-hmm. and he would just come back to the bench just giggling at a big smile that he has. He goes, hey, Big Brian, I like that give-and-go. <laughs> oh, Big Brian, I like that soft pick. And it was just so fun to see this kid, you know, excel. But... Uh, you know, learn and and be such a part of everything, and want to be such a part of everything. He would walk around. He had no credit card. He had a little bit of money in his pocket, and but he was just uh, just a wonder. He he wanted to embrace North America and USA, and um, you know, he's he's an easy kid to fall in love with. Um, he works out like a mad dog. Um, he was uh, stay extra hours on the ice, not minutes, hours. You know, with Rick Keogh doing one timers or shots in the slot or little rebound plays, and, and that's what you have to do in order to be one of the very, very best in the world. And he used to tell me, he "Goes, I want to be best player in the world like Mario Lemieux." And I used to say to myself, "Well, that's a that's a high aspiration, but good for you. That's a that's a great goal to have." And he just kind of became that guy you know for the nhl for a long time in pittsburgh but uh, you know I, I i love my relationship with him and that's kind of how it evolved over over the years and i bump into him now and he's got a little silver in his beard like i do and we giggle and point at each other and say hey getting a little uh, getting a little gray in the hair there armor he goes oh brian look how short my hair is now i said oh big brian likes your short hair <laughs> so he is a fun fun kid 
Yeah, and he's kept that uh, that kind of jovial mentality, it seems, throughout his entire career. He's always been a bit of a character, for at least from what I've seen from afar. But obviously you and him were, were a part of that uh, 91 team, and Badger Bob was the coach of that team, Badger Bob Johnson. And Scotty Bowman, of course, took over after uh, Badger's untimely passing following the 91 season. He coached you guys after that to the 92 Cup and then the following season. But uh, those guys in particular – what uh, made them so great at their job? Because obviously you look at a guy like Badger Bob, and for the listeners out there that have not been to Pittsburgh, pretty much anything about the organization as far as the great day for hockey, the positive attitude, the the, the championship, uh, and I say that as singularly as far as the first one being the most important one, uh, all are because of that guy coming on board and, and putting a different mentality and approach into the organization. And then obviously Scotty Bowman's name and his reputation speaks for itself. But what is it in your mind after playing for both of them that, that made them so great at their jobs? Well, that's a big ticket. Like, like, both of them are great coaches, just really good bench coaches. They've got a good pulse of their team. They, they, they match ups, you know, where they're going to, you know, put, put against what line on the other team, uh, combinations, you know, who's, who's got the hot hands, who's going to play well with each other. Those things are so important. Um, uh, Scotty's probably the very, very best I've had, you know, um, and I say that with all due respect to Al Arbor and, and Bob, but you know that the moments on, on on the bench when he puts the guys on the ice, there's not a guy on the bench who would argue with him. They go, yep, that's the guy that should be on the ice. And Scotty was a master at that. Uh, so I looked and I say to myself, I've had three of the best coaches you could have in hockey. Each, each of them are, are so special in so so many different ways. I was a very much a disciplinarian, um, very structured. Bob had a great system, super positive mind. He was all about culture. He was all about changing the culture here in Pittsburgh and making it fun coming to the rink, making it fun to play the games, making it a, a joy, you know, a little kid in all of us. And you got Scotty, who's, who's kind of just a, a mastermind, who just, you know, finds a way to, I don't know, make you respect him and what he's up to. And uh, I really enjoyed my conversations with, with, with Scotty one-on-one. Um, I like when he picked my brain. I like when Bob picked my brain. I, I, I always felt like I had a little input to, to what was going on. But Scotty was magnificent. Like I just think, uh, you know, as far as bench coach, as far as strategy, as far as like, uh, I don't know, just sharing that intelligence of hockey with with this group. I mean, it was uh, he's a good guy to win a championship with because when it all said and done, and at the end of end of the day. He would just lavish the guys with praise. And from Mario on down to the goaltending to the defense, there wasn't one guy at the end when, you know, they handed the cups and they were, were having our little little moments one-on-one as a group uh, where he wouldn't just praise everyone to death. And uh, that's, what great, that's what great coaches do. You know, they know how to push the right buttons. They know how to get the group going. They know how to challenge the team. They know how to uh, praise the guys at the right time. Who needs an arm around them? Who needs a kick in the butt? And uh, those are those are what makes a good coach. And uh, you know, they it, it reflects well on them at the end when you look back at it. And even even if you're a little frustrated during the regular season and you win a championship, you go, well, I got to give it to coach <laughs> most of the credit because he. He had a pulse of the team. He had to, he had to organize this and get the guys together, make them work as one unit out there. So, uh, no, I for Scotty, 
Bob and Al Arbor, I, I just say to myself, I was I was lucky to have all three of those guys because um, I never felt like I wasn't appreciated from any, all three of them. They all made me feel like even Al used to say, "Hey, bear down, smarten up." Those are those are fun coaches to play for. Yeah, and obviously guys that that maybe I would assume had an impact on you when you transitioned into being a coach after you know finishing up in the NHL following the '94 season. Uh, and I have to say, Trotz, that growing up, you know, outside of Philadelphia, one of my favorite things to do in the summer, it was a few years in a row that I went, I started to recruit some of my teammates to go to it, but we would go to Bob Hartley's high intensity hockey camp in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, and it was always a blast. Got to play in the old Hershey park arena, which is, as you know, just the, this incredible old barn, just a great building. And obviously you got to go to Hershey Park. You got everything in that. But you also got oh, to great learn. Great history. Great history in Hershey. But did you call him Uncle Bob? We did call him Uncle Bob. Yeah. <laughs> so he was. Yeah, I won, I won a cup with Bob in, in Colorado, and he's just a great guy. Yeah. I'd, I'd be a little remiss if I didn't mention Eddie Johnson, who to me is one of my favorite people in all of hockey. And when you talk about intelligent hockey people and people that share their 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 knowledge um i lucked out coaching with eddie johnson because sure. he was he's not only a great coach he is a great friend like this guy embraced me from the day one i walked into the coach's room he's like you're gonna do this you're gonna do this you're gonna do this and then he just left it on my lap and it was just awesome to have that kind of confidence with somebody and He's still one of my favorite friends in life, him and him and his wife, Diane. I love their family. But, um, you know, coaches like Bob Johnson, um, Bob Hartley, the coaches that win, uh, reflects well on them. But EJ has got a wonderful history here in Pittsburgh with, you know, drafting Mario Lemieux and, yeah. you know, being a part of this Pittsburgh culture and, um, you know, bringing that um, expertise of, of his hockey experience here to Pittsburgh has been valuable as well. Definitely, and it's still great to always see him up in the press box and get to hear his thoughts. It's amazing how he just thinks the game at such a high level, and, and even now, even watching games at this stage of his life, he's up there, and I'll ask him a couple questions, and he has three or four things just rattling off that he, he has thoughts on the, the period, anything that happened during the course of gameplays. He's as sharp as a tack, and he still can, as you said, he's, he, he lends his, uh, his expertise, I guess, in many ways to try to better everyone around him, too. No, he's not afraid to share any of his knowledge. Like he, he, he's an open book, and I think that's just uh, that's what makes him Eddie. Um, he talks ninety miles an hour, um, and he's just so insightful. And he's got this wonderful vision of the game and insight that's just very unique. And it's so um, it's so Boston Bruin driven because you know he it's almost like from his old Bruin days. And I love that. Because I was a big Bruins fan, Bobby Orr days, and he's friends with Bobby Orr, you know. So I was big ears all the time whenever Eddie, <laughs> Eddie talks. So yeah, he grabs a piece of paper, starts writing down. Him, Bob Johnson, you, you ask him one question, they, oh, you got, you, they'll, they'll have you for like a half hour. That's great. Yeah, he he's uh, he's a walking encyclopedia of hockey knowledge and memories, as are you, for that matter. Uh, but I, I wanted to get back to Bob Hartley, and I brought him up because, as you mentioned, you won a Stanley Cup with him in two thousand one in uh, Colorado. Um, that was from my younger perspective of watching hockey, one of my favorite teams ever, because when you're young, you like teams that win and you like championships and the Colorado avalanche had an unbelievable roster. I think when you, when you look back, 
Um, you've been part of some iconic rosters in your playing days, but that was a pretty iconic roster to coach. Uh, what was it like kind of managing the personalities from the Patrick Waz and the, you know, the Peter Forsbergs of the world and then having a captain in Joe Sackick and Ray Bork's story, obviously with that group too. Uh, th- that was a, a hell of a roster. H- how did you guys manage that? And were you able to get that team to the top of the mountain? Well, that's the fun of coaching players like the Lemuse and the Crosby's. You have a Joe Sackick and a Peter Forsberg and Patrick Wad, um, Ray Bork. I mean, you mentioned just three or four of them. You also have like Adam Foote and you have, uh, you know, just a crop of kids like Chris Drury and Milan Hayduke and Tongay. And, and they just, they, they want to win. And when you talk about the very best players, you know, like, you tell them once, and it's in the computer. You don't have to repeat it. Yeah. And uh, they just kind of nod at you, like, and that's really kind of cool. And they might ask you a question, and um, you give them a, you give them a suggestion or a mini solution, and they go out and try it, and then they wink at you. I, I just love that, and that's kind of the fun of being a coach, especially assistant coach, because sometimes the head coach has a black hat on, and the assistant coach has the white hat. <laughs> so like, uh, they're not they're not as like. Uh, hesitant to come maybe to the coach and 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 talk but i just really like that role of uh, of working with the very very best players and and finding a way and watching them how they how they compete and how they practice and how they work out off the ice and you know how they um just execute on a just a a standard you know they don't want to just get it done they want to get it done right and that's the Joe Sackets. That's the Patrick Waz. That's how they practice, and that's how that's why they are the very, very best. And like Mary would come on the ice, and he he would want to be on the ice for twenty minutes and make it really efficient. He didn't want to be on the ice for an hour and just be kind of going through stuff and saying, "Oh, well, this is boring." I, you know, he wanted to be he wanted to be working and and firing on all eight pistons. You know, on like an eight cylinder, and that's what makes the very best the very best because they 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 want to excel but they want to make sure that they're they're proficient at what they're doing and uh so um yeah the, the time in colorado bob and it, there, there were challenges i mean there was challenges when you have injuries and we lost peter for a while you lose patrick for a while with injuries but that's a challenge but that's the fun of that's the fun of the game is finding ways and overcoming and um I guess recovering, so to speak, but uh, it's so much fun coaching the very, very elite players, and I really enjoyed, you know, uh, working with the the second, third line, so to speak, guys that were just uh, so valuable to teams and finding a way to make them feel important in their role and their function, and um, and, and and holding people accountable. That's part of the role of a coach. Is hey, you know, I think uh, I think you do a little bit better there, and they look at you like okay you got me and that's it that's all you have to say you don't have to like beat them up you have to you know you know run them through the grinder you just gotta just hey you know i saw that you didn't you didn't bear down (laughs) (laughs) and the players know it right away oh got me okay good i'll bear down next time like sean podine one time the puck he's, he's he's watching the guy in front of the net he has his man but he lost sight of the puck the puck went through his legs right to the guy that he was watching hit the guy's stick and went in the net. I didn't say a word. I came back. He came back to the bench. He looked at me. He goes, I got to keep my eye on the puck, right? I said, kind of nodded at me. He came back after the game. He goes, 
boy, I need to be hold, held accountable. I said, I didn't say a word. <laughs> I didn't yell at him or anything. But just the fact that you kind of looked at him and said, hey, you know, Sean, you had your man, but you kind of lost sight of that puck, and uh, kind of your, your fault. And he knew it right away. And that's, that's, that's what's fun about coaching at the NHL level is the players all kind of know, and and it's best when they hold themselves accountable. That's the best kind of accountability. And they just want to, like, reassurance that you know, you acknowledged it, they acknowledged it, boom, done forgotten let's move on just don't make keep making that same mistake so funny you mentioned sean podine because when you talked about guys deeper in the lineup he was a name i was going to ask you about with that team he was one of my favorite players growing up watching the flyers back in philadelphia i just loved his energy i loved everything he brought to the table and i mean you think back to that team that everyone thinks like we mentioned in the top the stars of that team the sackics the forsbergs of the world you know obviously alex tangay and chris drury and hey juke but uh, those guys make differences too deeper in the lineup. Guys like Adam Deadmarsh, right? Like they, they seem to, they seem to be able to make those extra plays. And you guys had a lot of that in 2001. Well, you need that second effort. You need a third effort. You need that energy. You need the guys that are going to sacrifice a body to block a shot or to, you know, do the, uh, do the, uh, grinding, so to speak, you know, that wears the other team down and, um, you know, it's pressure, it's constant pressure, it's, uh, you know, little battles that just constantly a war of attrition, so to speak. And, yeah, you got your super elite players that can dance and scoot and, you know, make some magic happen. And these and, and the Sean Podines, they love their role. They take such pride in that role, killing penalties, you know, grinding it out on the wall, winning those wall battles, winning those corner battles, winning the front of the net battles on those pucks, all those things that are so important that makes you – not want to play against those guys. You hate playing against guys like that, you know, because you know they're not going to quit. It's going to be a 60-minute game. And you just remind them uh, and, and make them feel appreciated about that. Like, that's really kind of fun, you know. Um, Step on yell and Sean Podine and talk to them afterward. Like, what a great job. Kill that penalty. You guys want every, every battle, every loose puck battle. And they're giggling and laughing as they leave the coach's room. That's kind of fun. It's kind of a, a fun role to be able to, like, pump the guy's tires a little bit every once in a while rather than just bring him in and show him a bad play. Um, so it, 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 it's, it's a fun it's a fun group to coach, um, especially when you win, as we did in Colorado, uh, with the coaching staff, Jacques Cloutier and Bob Hartley, like you mentioned. And, you know, Pierre Lacroix was so funny. He was the general manager in Colorado. And when I went out there, I actually went out to interview for the head coaching job, and he just popped my balloon as soon as I got off the off the airplane. He goes, I want you on a plane tomorrow. You're coming to Colorado. And I'm like, oh, my God, he sounds so excited. I'm, I'm, I'm interviewing for the head coaching job. And I got off the plane. He goes, Brian, you're going to be my assistant coach. I hired Bob Hartley yesterday. I don't know if I want to be your assistant coach. I came out here to be the head coach. You're going to be my assistant coach. We're going to win the championship together. And then we won. He goes, I told you you're going to win the championship together. I said, Pierre, I said, it's so much fun when you – because I did the same thing to myself when I came to Pittsburgh. I said, I came for one year, and I wanted to win a cup with Mario Lemieux, and I did it. So, like, it was like hearing that all over again, like Pierre's – was me back in 91 saying i told you we could win a cup together and i said i told you mario that we could win a cup together <laughs> we ended up winning too but it really those kinds of things make the fun because it's, it's a relationship and they talk about it you know you win a championship you walk together for the rest of your life and it's so true it's just a bond that just builds and it never goes away like ronnie's at ronnie francis out in seattle now he's 
down in Carolina. And as soon as you bump into each other, it's like locker room all over again. You go right back into that character, you know, like uh, he's Ronnie, my teammate. I'm Brian, his teammate. And boom, we just go right back to that. So it's really kind of a special bond. It is. That, that is special to hear and see how it just kind of transcends the years once you guys win together. And, you know, Trotz, you and I, and I think you in particular, we could talk about the, the memories for hockey for an episode that would go for 15 days if we really wanted to because you have that many stories, I can attest to it, and I love hearing them. Uh, but for the sake of this episode, I want to transition to what you've been doing post uh, playing a little bit post coaching. I'm not sure if it was right after coaching. That's kind of why I want to talk about it. Uh, but getting into the musical side of things a little bit, and we've we've all seen now the the video that you played. I believe you said your your one daughter was married uh, last year to a fellow from Wisconsin. I think it was at that wedding. Yeah, I wrote I wrote I wrote a, I wrote a, I wrote a song for a wedding about her heart. And uh, it's uh, my pretty little girl with a beautiful heart, and it's a little bit about daddy's heart and watching this little girl grow up. So it was pretty emotional, but I think um, you know music's been a big part of our our family's life. Well, we had a family band. Dad was just a terrific musician, got me playing bass guitar, and I just kind of taught myself like watching him how to play rhythm guitar. And I don't play a bunch of bass guitar anymore. I just like to strum a guitar. And, mm-hmm. But I need singers because I'm not a great singer. My sister Kathy and dad were the great singers. I was just kind of like the harmony guy. And so when I can, when I have to sing lead, it's it's kind of like a forced thing because I'm not super comfortable. I, I love singing and I like doing it, but I, I know my limits. But it's really a big part of our life. And um, I get to sing it out. Mario's uh, fantasy camp. Uh, we bring up Clark Gillies and Theo Fleury as singers, and we have a blast. And it's, it just shows people another side of us hockey players that, you know, we're not great musicians. We just love music. And uh, I think that's what it's all about. You know, all of us enjoy music and different genres. You know, I'm kind of a country guy. I'll do a little bit of, a little bit of rock, not, not a lot. But um, but I enjoy it all. I enjoy the live entertainment, so to speak. I bring up Brian Cole, who's a local musician, songwriter, singer, and he's just terrific. He loves he loves Journey, and um, so I'll, I'll strum along Journey with him while he's singing his Journey songs. I think it's, it's people go, well, is that Trotchy up there strumming the Journey? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and it makes it fun. So uh, no, music is fun. I got an eight, eight song CD that, that's just come out here the last year and a half, and I get up to the. Uh, Native communities in Canada. I've been over to over 200 um, remote Native communities in Canada, and I, I talk to the kids. By my background's First Nations with my grandparents on my dad's side, so we've got Cree, Métis, and uh, Chippewa in our in our family, Munsfull Irish. But I get up into these Native communities, and I bring the guitar, and we talk about education, you know, making healthy choices, and my path to the NHL, and some of the choices I had to make in order to get there, and you know, support from family and coaches and you know, so I, I like talking to young athletes and young kids in schools, and um, you know, just give them my story and see if you can inspire somebody to to kind of you know find their path through uh, to their to their goal in life, and uh, so that's been really rewarding. Um, just uh, supporting a lot of different events like uh, charitable events, and that's a little tough now with with uh, the coronavirus, but because sure. uh, congregation makes it really really tough. It's much like going to a hockey game you know you go to a charitable function and you know it makes it very very difficult to congregate so so those are those are limited right now but um hope, we hope to get them all back you know whether it's a, a golf tournament or something but we'll continue to try to raise some good money for some good causes and it's a different kind of challenge right now but those are some of the things i'm doing as much as being a dad and 
grandpa and supporting our alumni through events and Mario and the Penguins and a little bit the Islanders back in New York and the NHL as a group. We're all kind of mini ambassadors to to a great extent. So it's it's wonderful plopping that hat back on and supporting hockey to whatever extent. We still do some clinics uh, with the with the NHL uh, alumni or our Penguin alumni. We we get on the ice with the kids and that's just a big hoot because they're just useful energy. They're big ears and big eyes, big sponges. They want to absorb as much as we can possibly tell them and it's so much fun those kids you know some of the things they they tell me like they talk about we were we had this kid phil bork and i were up at rmu and this kid's name was marcus joy and he's uh he passed the puck didn't even look he's a passer right in front of his own net and the other team almost got it and i said i'll grab the next water break and i said marcus you passed that puck right in front of your own net that you didn't even look He's looking at me, he's words of mouth with a little water, and I said, no, what, that's a, like a cardinal rule in hockey. You don't pass the puck blind from your own net. The team almost got it. I said, if you got room to skate with it, put it up the boards or around behind the net, but don't, don't pass it blind in front of the net. I said, do you understand? He's looking at me, and I said, don't pass the puck blind from your own net. You got it? He's looking at me, and he goes, do you smell popcorn? <laughs> like, he didn't hear a word. I said, the little stinker, I did smell popcorn. I'm at RMU, I'm like, He's a little bit distracted with the popcorn smell, but it's really kind of, you know, you tell, like I was telling you earlier, you tell the pros once it's in the computer, you just got to remind the kids like 10 times over, don't pass the puck blind in front of that. That's comical. (laughs) That is great. I'll end with this, Trots, before we let you go, and I really appreciate you taking the time again. Um, On the guitar front, if you could play one song, just one song, that's all you get left to play. What is it and why? There's just too many songs. That, but every, <laughs> you, know what, you know what a lot of people ask for is Little Johnny Cash, like Folsom Prison. That seems to be a good staple song. Everybody knows it. It's a good upbeat song. I'm, I'm such a Waylon Willie fan, you know, like Good Hearted Woman's an easy song to play. Yeah. And it's so fun. And, you know, it's a foot, foot stomper. I'd like to, I like the Merle Haggard, you know, um, through working man blues just anything that gets your foot stomping and kind of lifts your spirits and you know kind of makes people hum along those are those are those are the ones i go to um good energy songs um the ballads are fun to play um i like to tug at people's heart heart strings a little bit um but that's country music in general um but i really uh, i really enjoy um not the entertainment aspect of it, but the shared joy of music. And uh, if I can strum a guitar and get some singers and run a campfire, family reunion, or Mario's Fantasy Camp, and bring a little joy and fun into the evening of a that's what I'm all about. And uh, so I do enjoy it. Um, our family still gets together. We, my sister still has the family band. Her boys are really good musicians. And, my brother's brother Monty, his son Jordy is just a fantastic musician. So it's going to stay in the family for a long time. It'll really be a wonderful legacy, I think, for my dad and the family to kind of keep that music going. Uh, my daughter plays piano. She reads music. I'm so jealous. Uh, my other daughter's got four daughters. She's teaching them how to play guitar. She's a good little guitar player. And my son, he picks the guitar. He can actually pick the guitar. And I'm like, how do you do that? He goes, I don't know. I just, just follow, kind of follow the internet a little bit. They, they teach you this. I'm like, holy cow. I'm like behind times. I'm just, I'm a strummer. I, I got hundreds of songs. I just can't pick a guitar like this kid can. But it, it's really kind of a, a fun family thing. And we, we, we keep it going. And uh, so anybody wants to 
have a little fun with the Trache band. We're, we're always available. That's a great, a great ad right there. I would take you up on that offer. I want to, I want to hear the uh, the Trottier band. Maybe once this is all over, we can have a return to normalcy celebration. You guys can be the headline band. How about that? Well, we'll start promoting the CDs. We'll get them out there so people know what kind of songs I sing. Because it'll be, I, I, we have, I did, I did eight songs uh, tribute to my dad. We did these songs hundreds of thousands of times, and some Merle Haggard's on there. And um, I, I, I just really enjoy. I enjoyed making this. It was, it was, it was fun to do. And when I look back at it now, I said, I said, I got all these CDs in my garage. What am I going to do with them? Well, let's move them. Let's raise some money for charity. So I called my penguin family, my Islander family said, okay, we got all these CDs. Let's get them moving here. And they're not bad. You know, I had to be lead singer. So for, for me being the lead singer and I go, you know, not so bad. It's kind of fun listening to. So if you like a little country and you want a CD, just let let us know because we're going to start start pushing these things out and get, get my garage cleaned up a little bit. But uh, And it's all for fun and we'll raise some money for some charity. So thanks, Josh. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. And the Drink at the Rink is a fun little project here. Yeah, we're having a good time with it. I really appreciate it, Trots. Thanks again for taking the time. Best of luck to to your uh, son as he gets ready for the next step in his life and his career. And, of course, hope you and the family continue to do well. And we'll look forward to the music and the hockey in the hopefully not-too-distant future. See you along the way, Josh. Thanks. Stay well. A huge thanks to Brian Trottier, who, if you got the vibe and just during that conversation, is never at a loss of words. It's part of what makes him such a great guy, such a, a special talker from a hockey perspective. And the stories that he shares are second to none. I can't thank him enough uh, from taking the time and joining me here on the podcast. But that is going to do it for episode number four. So appreciate everyone out there tuning in. We'll be back again next week with an all-new episode, episode 5. So stay tuned for that. Until then, be well, be safe, and cheers, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Drink at the Rink podcast.